Well, as we continue our study in Hebrews, uh, we see that the writer continues in chapter 3 to make it clear that Jesus is better. And that has been his passion. That has been what he has been doing over and over again. And if you wanted to make sure that a Jewish audience believed that Jesus was better or that Jesus was superior to all others, you would have to bring Moses into the conversation. You could not skip Moses in that conversation. You would have to talk about him. No conversation concerning the Old Testament heroes or fathers or role models would be complete without talking about Abraham, without talking about David, maybe a little bit about Noah and Solomon and some of the great prophets, but you'd have to put at the top of the list every single time Moses. To the Jewish people, Moses was at the top. Moses, many felt like, were higher than angels even because of what he had done. Moses had this incredible, incredible high view. People viewed him as one of, if not the very best person that had ever, ever walked on the earth. Hebrews chapter 3, we see that the writer wants to continue the theme of Jesus is better. And so we read this beginning in verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all of his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confession and boast of our hope firm until the end. So the topic is Moses. He was esteemed above all other Old Testament saints. And he had an incredible life and and the Old Testament and the saints of the of the Old Testament knew that, and they esteemed him, and the Jewish people esteemed him. He was one that, as a baby, he was miraculously kept safe and alive. He was placed in the right place by God and used of God. He spoke to God face to face. He saw the very glory of God, and he had that glory reflected on his face for a long time. He spoke to Pharaoh for God. He performed miracles. He spent time on Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments and the other rules of God. The New Testament often calls the commandments of God the Law of Moses. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. He was indeed God's man, and he was revered by the Jews as greater than angels even in some ways. Moses was great but not greater than Jesus, which is explained in these verses. Verse 1 says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling. So it's interesting how he begins chapter 3, and he wants to establish some things right away. He says, Therefore, holy brethren, describing the fact that we are set apart by God, we are holy, we're called the holy ones, we are special in that respect, saints set apart, used of God, 
brethren, all belonging to one another, partakers of the heavenly calling. You know, that is a really good phrase, and that's a good thing for us to remember in our lives, isn't it? That, that in spite of what we see on this earth, and in spite of some of the struggles that we have, we are indeed partakers of the heavenly calling. We have been given a unique perspective on life because we see it eternally. Because we are partakers of the heavenly calling. We see that Jesus has done some amazing things. So he just establishes some things here. He says, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly follow, uh, calling, consider Jesus. Fix your thoughts upon Jesus. Think carefully about Jesus. The writer, in effect, says this, I give you Jesus. He's better. Think about Jesus. Consider Jesus. Ponder Jesus. And I think that this morning, that's a great phrase and a great idea for us. Let's consider Jesus. Let's think about Jesus. Moses was great, but think about Jesus. All of your heroes that you have, they're pretty wonderful, but consider Jesus. Maybe you have a great New Testament hero, but consider Jesus. As you go through the struggles and the difficulties of life, consider Jesus. As you think about the trials and the tribulations that you're facing right now, as you think about the uncertainty of tomorrow or today, as you think about the battles that are going on in your life because life is full of battles, well, think about Jesus. As you deal with the physical difficulties of life, think about Jesus. As you think about the uncertainties of life, think about Jesus. Of all the things that we can say this morning, this is probably among the most important. Give your attention, your continuous devotion to Jesus. Consider Jesus. Somebody said this about this particular phrase in this verse. The idea is to put your mind on Jesus and let it remain there. That you may understand who he is and what he wills. I would this morning suggest to you that we should consider Jesus. He should be the one we think about. He should be the one we talk to. He should be the one we cry out to. He should be the one we live for. He should be the one that we serve. He should be the one that dictates our thoughts and our actions and our attitudes and our lifestyle. He should be the one that is foremost in our life. He should be the one that consumes us above our hobbies. He should be the one that occupies us above our favorite activities. He should be the one that restores our soul. He should be the one that gives us rest. He should be the one that gives us hope. I would suggest to you this morning that we should consider Jesus. We should think about his deity, his humanity, his life, his words, his sacrifice, the fact that he was and is our substitute, that he is the author and the finisher of our salvation, that he's the Satan conqueror, that he's the great high priest, he's the sent one, he's the one who prays for us on a regular basis. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the bread of life. He's the living water. He's the door, the great shepherd, our helper, our peace, our joy. Consider Jesus. 
we talk about things all the time and they kind of center around him but do we take some time to consider jesus and and i would really challenge you this week to just consider jesus to just spend time with jesus just meditating upon jesus and just talking to him and thanking him for what he's done for you and who he is in your life just consider jesus the savior of your soul your friend your redeemer your god consider jesus and all that he has done for you and who he is consider jesus think about jesus all that we need all that we'll ever need consider jesus think about his life on this earth think about the things he taught that we can read about in the gospels think about his time with his disciples think about his prayer before the cross think about how he handled all of that up to the cross think about that trial think about the beatings and the whippings and the mockings think about the crown of thorns upon his head think about him carrying the cross think about those spikes being driven through his wrists and his feet think about him hanging on the cross and what he had to say think about the fact that he was separated from his father while he who knew no sin became sin on your behalf think about the fact he said it was finished that he died and then think about the fact that he rose again think about how he dealt with peter think about how he displayed himself to all of his his disciples think about how he showed himself to thomas think about what he said right before he left in the book of acts i urge you this week to consider jesus if you are reading through our bible reading in our in our insert in the bulletin our time with god we're in the gospels we're part of it is in genesis and part of it is in the gospels and as you read the gospels you're reading about jesus and as you read those gospels don't just read some interesting stories i know you know that it's the bible i know you know that it's true but make sure that you are, as you're reading those things you're considering jesus in that i would urge you to consider jesus so he goes on and he says a little bit about Jesus. He says, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. The sent one. The one who brought it to us. The high priest, the one that goes to God on our behalf. Consider that one. Consider the fact that you have no faith apart from Jesus. Consider the fact that you have no hope with God apart from Jesus. Consider the fact that there is no way to get to God apart from Jesus. Consider Jesus. Think about Jesus. Ponder Jesus. Make this your mission this week. Consider Jesus. He goes on and talks about Jesus a little bit further in verse 2. And to understand verse 2, we need to kind of phrase it this way. Consider Jesus who was being faithful to the one who appointed him. That's what that meaning is. He was faithful to him who appointed him. Consider Jesus, the one who was faithful to him who appointed him. You know, the Bible simply says this, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Aren't you glad that the Bible doesn't have a list of things that we have to do? It simply says you're to be faithful. Here's what, you're, here's what you do. You be faithful to what he has told you in your life. We don't have to check off those 250 things. Be faithful to what he has told you to do. Be reliable. Be trustworthy doing what you're supposed to do and we have a model we have an example 
person. You'll see a faithful one. You'll see one who is faithful to what they were supposed to do. From the time he was born until the time he died, he did what he was supposed to do. He was faithful to those things. Read some of the other stories in the book of Acts, and you'll see faithful people over and over again doing what they were supposed to do. But our example here is Jesus. I would like you to consider this. How much better, how much less difficult, how much would your life be blessed even more if you were faithful to the task that your Father had given you? Not to worry about them, not to consider those issues or that problem or that situation or others' business, to do and to be what we are to do and to be. To be where we're supposed to be and to do what we're supposed to do if we were just faithful. You know, actually, life would be better. It really would. If we were just faithful to what God said on a regular basis. Get up in the morning and say, all right, what do you want me to do today, God? What do you want me to do today? Now, we know some of it because it's in the revealed will of God. Here it is. It's in the Bible. Then we listen and we pray and we talk to him. Lord, what do you want me to do? Just be faithful. That's what you're called to do. That's what you're called to be is faithful in your life. You need to be faithful to God. You need to be trustworthy. You need to be reliable. You need to be faithful to the one who saved you on a regular basis. Just be faithful. Well, he, he goes on and he, he says that Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him. But he, he, he then says this, as Moses also was in all of his house. Moses was a faithful guy. Moses was very, very faithful. He did what he was supposed to do. In Numbers chapter 12, it says, my servant Moses is faithful in all of my household. That's where he gets this idea from in Numbers. Moses was incredibly faithful. There's no question that Moses was faithful to God. There's no question that Moses was a shining example to God. But, it says in verse 3, For he, referring to Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. By just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all of his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which are spoken later, but Christ was faithful as a son. So what he says is simply this. Moses was doing exactly what Moses should have been doing. Moses was incredibly faithful over his house. Moses was doing what he was supposed to be doing, but Moses was a servant. Jesus is the son. Well, we know which one's better than the other on that one. We know that the son is far greater than the servant. Moses was a household servant. That's what he was. Jesus, and this is where the, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews really makes it pretty interesting. He, he says Jesus was the builder of the house. Moses was a household servant. Jesus is the builder of the house. And this is the key for us today. Jesus is the builder of the house. We serve within the house. He's the builder of the house builder of the house gets more honor and more glory and the bible says here in this passage that he's the builder and he's the create he's the creator and it's all for him and that's an incredibly important thing
Verses 5 and 6, note what they say. Now Moses was faithful in all of his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confession and the boast of our hope firm until the end. The comparison is simple. Moses is the servant. Jesus is the son. And we know that the son is better. And in fact, Moses, like much of the Old Testament, was a shadow, a type, pointing toward Jesus. Pointing toward Jesus. Even Jesus was on this earth when he was struggling with the scribes and the Pharisees and the rulers, the religious leaders of the day. He said this, if you have believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Moses was constantly saying, there's one better, there's one greater. It's Jesus. Look to Jesus. Moses was all about being the one who pointed to another. He knew his, rule, his role and he was okay with it. And I want to talk about that for just a moment. Part of being faithful to God is understanding that all of us have different roles and being content in that. We all can't be that one. We all can't be this one. We all have different roles and we have different tasks to fulfill, different responsibilities, and God has made it so that it all works and the body all comes together. Moses understood his task. He understood that it was about pointing to Jesus. You need to understand your task. It's about doing what it is that God had asked you to do and then be faithful in doing that thing. And in being faithful in doing that thing, you point to Jesus over and over and over again. The issue in life is never, what are you doing? The issue in life is always, how are you doing it? Unless it's a sin issue. And the Lord says, when you do that, do it with all of your energy. Do it with all of your heart. Do it for the glory of God. And be faithful in what I have asked you to do. Where God has put you, and the New Testament talks about this, where God has put you is where God wants you right now. We may wonder about the will of God a lot, and we may wonder a lot about tomorrow, but there's no question we understand today. Do we not? I know what's going on today. I know what's happening right now. I know this is what God wants me to do right now. Here I am. Be faithful to that. And then tomorrow, he may ask you to do something else. He may ask you to go somewhere else. He may ask you to be somewhere else, whatever it may be. But right now, this is it. How often do we waste today because of uncertainty with tomorrow? That's a disastrous place to be. Be faithful to God right now where you are as you pursue tomorrow, as you pray about tomorrow, as you wait to see what he wants for tomorrow. And to tomorrow, do the exact same thing. I'm going to be faithful where I am today, and I'm going to pray about tomorrow, and I'm going to pursue tomorrow, but I'm going to be faithful today where I am today. And that is a great lesson for all of us to learn. Now we come to the really cool stuff of this passage. And I really like this. This is, this is awesome stuff. Verse 6, But Christ was faithful as son over his house, whose house we are. Christ was faithful to his house, whose house we are. The house that Jesus Christ is over is the house that we belong to. The building that we worship in is not God's house. We are God's house. What is being discussed here is the church. The church. Listen, we all want to belong. 
We all want to be part of a group. We all want to be part of a club. We all want to be part of a gang. We all want to be part of people that we can identify with people about certain things. We all want to do things with people. We all want to be involved with other people for a, a, a particular goal and, and, and to accomplish something together. Let me tell you, as a believer, you've been put in the church, and that meets all of that criteria and then some. Does that mean you can't be a part of anything else? No, you can be a part of all sorts of things. But we need to understand that we are a part of Christ, and Christ says, you belong to me, and you are in my house, and that house that I'm talking about is the church, and the church has been established so that you can be part of a group. The church has been established so you can be faithful with one another. The church has been established for corporate worship and fellowship. The church has been established so that you can have a common goal and work with other people. The church has been established for the glory of God on this earth. The church has been established so that there's a bunch of us instead of a few of us so that Jesus Christ can be seen. You're part of the church. Believe it, you're part of the church, and that is the greatest thing in the world. And I know that, that you know, <clears throat> we get all hung up on, on church and church being this and church being that and church having its issues and it's difficult. I get all of that. But Jesus says, you belong to me. You're part of the building that I created, and that building is the church. And there is nothing better or greater on this whole earth than the church. The church, the house of the living God. The church. It is the best club, the best organization, the best group of anything you'll ever be a part of your whole life. Is it flawed? You're not a kitten. How about your favorite organization? Is it flawed? You're not a kitten. What organization on this earth isn't flawed? Go ahead. Give me one. Doesn't exist. They're all flawed. And yet the church, it seems like, is the only one that we say, you know, because the church is flawed, I refuse to be a part of it any longer. Really? All organizations are flawed. Of course they are. Church is the only one that has God's message for it. Church is the only one that has the power of the Holy Spirit in it. Church is the only one that is doing eternal things. Church is the only one that understands true forgiveness, real encouragement. The church is the greatest thing. It is the greatest thing. Let's look at some verses about the church. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 19. Listen to what it is that Christ, who is better, has done for us, the builder. Listen to what he's building. Ephesians 2 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Do you realize that that's talking about us, not a building? About us. He's saying, you've been built on the foundation, the apostles and the prophets, and you're part of this building, you're being fitted together, and you're growing into a holy temple in the Lord. That's what the church is. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3.
1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 says this. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I, delayed, I write to you that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. The fact of the matter is, is, is that the church, because we're all people, is flawed. But the fact of the matter is, we also have this book called the Bible, and, and, and it has been written and given to us so that we know, ought to know how to conduct ourselves in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. It is flawed. But the person I need to look at is me, not you, when it comes to it being flawed. problem with those of us in the church is that we look at you about the reason it's flawed rather than looking at myself about the reason it's flawed and he says here's the bible here's the book here's how you conduct yourself here's the rules of order inside the church this is how we're supposed to act as those who belong to this cool club called the church first corinthians chapter three It says this, verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Isn't that cool? We're God's field. We're God's building. God said, I, I want you. Now, I, <laughs> I honestly understand this, okay? How cool is it that God said, I want to build the church, and I'm going to build it out of you? God, have you looked closely at me? Have you looked closely at us? Yeah, I have, he says. And I'm going to build this amazing thing. And people are going to look at it and say, look at God, isn't he something? That same chapter, verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? This particular one is talking about the corporate church. In chapter 6, it's the individual. In this one, it's the group. Here we are. And we are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in us as the church pretty good group to belong to don't you think chapter 12 verse 13 <clears throat> for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks whether slaves or free we were made to drink into one spirit isn't that something you know the thing that unites us the thing that makes us one is the spirit he's brought us into the church we have a lot of things where we can disagree with one another. Here's the thing that brings us together. The Spirit of God who put us in the church. 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter chapter 2 verse 9 oh excuse me 1 Peter chapter 2 verse um, 4 and 5 and coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men but is choice and precious in the sight of God you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ 
We talk about sacrifices in the Old Testament all the time. Hey, here in the New Testament, it talks about offering up spiritual sacrifices as the church, as the group. This is what we're going to do for God. And some of the sacrifices that I do for God as a group is my time. Some of it's my service. Some of it's my money. Some of it's my energy. Some of it's my resources. There's a lot of things that we do as the church. Down in verses 9 and 10, he says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's who you are. You're a chosen race, royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're God's possession. You are been given what you've been given that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and put you into light. You once were not a people. You were ramble and you were nothing. You, have, you once did not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy so that you can shine for Jesus as And then I would simply say the book of Acts. Because what is the book of Acts? The book of Acts is the story of the church being born and growing. That's where it is. And you read in there and you read a story of some flawed people doing some really stupid things. But you read of the power of God redeeming those flawed people for his glory. It's the church. And it is absolutely an amazing, glorious, wonderful thing. Are you pouring into the church as the Bible says you ought? Does the church mean to you what the Bible lays out it ought to mean to you? I hope it does. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 3. Because we need to deal with one more thing. It says this in verse 6. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confession and the boast of our hope firm until the end. The question is this, whose house we are, how do we know? How do we know? Well, he says here, if we keep, we know. Well, what is, what is that all about? Let's talk about this for a little while here. First of all, let's say this, that we will see this later in Hebrews, and we certainly see it now. The writer tells us to keep on. The writer tells us to continue. Apparently, there were some who had left their faith and some who had stayed. Kind of like today, huh? Some who have left and some who had stayed. And the call from the writer of Hebrews and the call from God is continue on keep going. He says in verse 6, but Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence. What is our confidence? Go back to salvation. What is salvation? What was salvation? Well, at its very root level, what is salvation? Salvation is believing the gospel. Salvation is believing that Jesus Christ did indeed live a sinless life, that Jesus Christ did indeed die on the cross, and he died on the cross as a substitute for you, the substitutionary atonement, and that he was buried, and that he rose again, and that he sent the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's the essence of what we believe when we're saved. 
That's what we hold on to when we're saved. So what do we hold on to as we grow? We hold on to the fact that Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross, that he died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again. I hold on to what he said. I hold on to what the apostles said and what the writer said in the New Testament. I hold on to those things. It's the essence of the gospel, and it saved me, and it sustains me. And we make it a little bit more complicated than we should sometimes. It's living by faith. It's accepting by faith when I'm saved, and it's accepting my faith as I live today, <clears throat> as I serve him. And the Bible says here in this passage of Scripture that what we need to do is whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence. We need to hold on to some things. These people that apparently left, were they saved? I don't know. Only God knows the answer to that question. But the Bible does talk about staying and keeping and continuing and hoping over and over and over and over again. And the Bible says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. You need to ask yourself on a regular basis, am I in the faith? Am I in the Do I belong to the club? Am I still in the club? How did I get in the club? How do I stay in the club? Am I in the club? Am I part of the church? And here's the deal when we have these conversations. It is simply this. Am I saved? We understand what salvation is. It's believing in Jesus Christ. Okay, great. If I'm saved, then, then what does the Bible say I need to do about my lifestyle right now? Here's what you need to do. So once I determine whether I'm saved or not, then the next thing is I determine am I being obedient or not? If I'm being obedient, continue on that path. If I'm being disobedient, I need to stop, I need to confess, I need to repent, and I need to get on the right path. And the Bible explains how that happens over and over again. If the question is asked, are you saved? And the answer is no, here's how you get saved. So are those people that left saved? I don't know. Are those people that are continuing saved? I don't know. That's not my call. That's God's call. What I can do is ask questions and answer what the Bible says, and then you need to test yourself to see if you're in the faith. That's what needs to happen. And the Bible says we need to do that on a regular basis. Do I belong to him? Am I in the faith? Now this I know, that the Bible says that once I belong to him, I belong to him forever. The Bible is incredibly clear about that. Once I belong to him, I belong to him forever. Then we need to start dealing with obedience and disobedience on a regular basis, don't we? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I being faithful? That's my question. Because we understand that I can belong to a family and I can get at odds with my family once in a while. I still belong to the family, don't I? So every once in a while that's going to happen. I need to confess and repent, just like we would with family. And we need to get back into where we belong with family. I need to do that with this family, and I knew that with God once in a while. But the Bible says very clearly that I need to make sure that I am continuing. You never get a stop and step out of this thing called the Christian life. You never get to do that. How often do I get, how long do I get to be faithful, Kent, until the Lord calls you home? How long do I got to 
continue to be part of this thing called the church until the Lord calls you home? How long do we study and pray and fellowship until the Lord calls you home? How often do I come and sing the same songs over and over again until the Lord calls you home? You keep doing it because I'm faithful to the fact that he has put me in this place. Here are the words of truth. Verse 6, but Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast our confession and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Are you holding fast to your confession? That that you made when you were saved. Are you holding fast to that confession? I have probably shared this very thing from the pulpit. If I have, I apologize if you've heard it too many times. But I was saved uh, during the middle of the week with a friend, and he took me to church that day, and that w- it was a church that did an invitation, and I went forward, and the pastor was an older gentleman, and, and he came down, and he met me at the front and asked me why I'd come forward. I said, well, I got saved this week, and, you know, one of the things you said is you come forward and do this in front of people, and he put his arm on my shoulder, and he says, the Bible says that if you believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead, if you if confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead, you'll be saved. That he was, that, you know the verse. <laughs> You'll be saved. Do you believe that? I said, I believe that. He says, you're saved. He said, I, I may not remember the verse today, but I'll never forget Sturm putting his arm around my shoulder and saying those things to me. You're saved. The question is, am I then holding firm to that, comp, to that confession that I made back then? Am I holding firm to the confidence of that boast that I made then? Are you? That's the question for every single one of us. Are we holding firm today as part of the house that Jesus built? And he's way better than any other builder. Way better. The church, great place. A great place. And we belong to it. And isn't it wonderful that he has given it to us so that we can belong to a group. What a joy, what an encouragement, what a blessing. Grasp it and enjoy it and embrace it and be a part of it and stay in it. Why? Well, because it's the body of Christ. And we belong to him. We belong to him. There's a lot of issues, but where else are you going to go? It's a great place. The church. The body of Christ. It says right here in this verse, but Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confession, and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Hold to him.